Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to week 17 of the National Football League. Hope you all had a great holiday. Uh, Greg Cosolo there from NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. Hope you had a great holiday too. Of course, with Greg, his holiday is uh, going to NFL Films at 5 in the morning and watching tape for 16 hours. Yeah, I'm looking forward to my holiday in when, uh, what is it, May or June? That's Yeah. Yeah. We're like teachers. We get the summer off. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's what I'm looking forward to, my holiday. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Doug Farrar from Touchdown Wire and the USA Today Sports Media Group, the aforementioned Greg Cosell from NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. You can tell I'm tired because I pointed the wrong way. Greg's over there. Hi, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's a long season, man. So week 17, here we are. We got some interesting games. Uh, Thursday, Browns-Jets. And matchup-wise, you know, the Browns are probably going to the playoffs. Jets over there. But I wanted to discuss Flacco against the Jets defense because since Joe Flacco got off the couch and became the Browns starting quarterback in week 13, Greg, he leads the league in passing attempts, 175. He's second in completions behind Jake Browning, go Ohio, with 104. He leads the NFL in passing yards with 1,321, and some of those throws he made against the Texans last week to Amari Cooper were utterly ridiculous. And Amari Cooper had 11 catches for a single-game franchise record, 265 yards, two touchdowns, and the Browns 36-22 went over Houston. Cooper is the fourth player in NFL history with three career games with at least 200 receiving yards and two touchdown receptions, joining pro football uh, Hall of Famer Don Sutton, uh, Charlie Hennigan, go AFL, and Tyreek Hill. So back to Flacco, and I thought the design of two of his plays were interesting, yet similar and interesting. He had a stutter go boundary throw to Cooper, uh, two of them, the 75-yard touchdown uh, early in the second quarter, and the 21-yarder with 117 left in the third quarter. Both times, Texans were in cover three both times. It was just have Cooper beat the corner because the deep safety has to play to the passing strength. Uh, Cooper was the backside I saw in both plays, I believe. And on the 21-yard play, this is what I want to get to. The Browns motioned to four strong. We've talked a lot about how four strong opens things up in the passing game, but this was an example to me where it opened everything up, but for the backside ISO guy, let's say, we're going to force the defense to go all this way, and it was pretty cool. Well, I actually thought, believe it or not, I thought his best throw of the day was the Njoku 21-yard touchdown. I thought that was an unbelievable throw. Um, we'll put that one up too because I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, just to talk about Flacco generally as opposed to specific plays, um, what I think he's done is he's expanded the Browns passing game, not only vertically, but in many ways, Doug, horizontally. And I'll tell you why. Because one thing you don't see very often in the NFL, there's only a few quarterbacks that can do this. You don't see quarterbacks throw the ball to the number one receiver in a plus split outside the numbers to the wide side of the field, because those are hard throws. You know, when you're on the far hash and you're asking a quarterback to throw all the way across the field to a number one split receiver outside the numbers, you don't see, you know, Josh Allen can make that throw. You know, certainly there are quarterbacks that are capable of that Allen Stafford, 
Mahomes can make that throw. But a lot of quarterbacks, that's not really part of the pass game for a team because it's a hard throw. It's not a comfortable throw because you're either going this way or – yeah. There, well, you're not, throwing it across the entire perfect. field. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it's a long throw. People don't realize, even though if it doesn't seem like it's a long throw in terms of just pure yardage – you know, you're throwing it almost. If the field is 53 and a third wide, you're throwing it what? Just just before you even count the yardage forward, you're probably throwing that 30 yards plus in the air, and then right. you have to add the yards forward. And they're not; those are not trajectory throws. Those are more firm touch, you know, velocity throws. So yep. not every quarterback can do that. Flacco can do that. And so, if you're doing it there, like right at the line of scrimmage, you've got a guy pressed up on you. You don't have any advantage. You've run past someone. That's that's out the window. Right. So, I mean, he's expanded the passing game that way. So it becomes a different and more difficult passing game to defend. Um, the other thing which may surprise people is he doesn't limit their deployment of play-action boot. He's kind of a little bit better athlete than people think. And he can get outside the pocket by design, which he did – obviously on the um, Cooper 75-yard touchdown, which was designed boot left. And Cooper, as you said, ran the stutter go versus a backup corner, Ross. And uh, with post safety, Petrie, he jumped the crosser by Njoku. There was no deep help. And by the way, it was evident that Petrie was not supposed to do that because that was the last snap he played other than two snaps in dime. So obviously Petrie was not supposed to do that. Um, But anyway, the point is, is that he just really gives you so much more in your pass game. Um, But getting back to that throw, that 21 yarder, you know, to me, that says a lot about NFL quarterbacking. And for, for this reason, because there are certain, there are certain throws that as a quarterback, you know, you have to make, you know, like, like on that play, they were in a three by one set. Cooper was the boundary X. He was the single receiver to the short side of the field. And, the the Texans actually played two man to Cooper because they had the, the safety to his side basically play over the top of him in the corner play kind of two man man technique and then they played quarters to the three receiver side to trips. Okay. So right at the snap, he knew that the middle of the field was open. And, and then he knew that he had Njoku on kind of a stick-nod seam route versus a linebacker. So all he had to make sure of was that the, the quarter's safety to the trip side could not overlap the throw. But, I mean, the point I'm making is when he sees his tight end on a linebacker, he th- it, it's the NFL. He's making that throw. You know, he's been yeah. around long enough to know, you know, when you get a tight end on a linebacker, particularly a tight end who can run, that's the throw. You know, that's just the way it is in the NFL. Your tight end's got to win. But he made a great, great throw. Yeah, it was. And he he couldn't, like, go all the way through because he had pressure in his face. He did have pressure. He absolutely did. And he had to cut his motion short. He just zinged it in there. And there was four or five balls to, you know, mostly to Cooper where he could have walked down and handed it to the guy. It wouldn't have been any less accurate. Yeah, no, he was – he – look, you know, he'll occasionally, because he's such an aggressive thrower, he'll throw a pick. There's no question. And he's done that at times throughout his career. Although he's never truly been the way people think of quarterbacks that just throw a lot of picks. He's no. never thrown as many as people might think. But he is an aggressive thrower. He understands the game at a high level. He know he knows it's the NFL that hey, if it's one on one, you throw it. It's up to your receiver to win. I mean, it's, you know that yeah. that's the way it goes in the NFL. If it's one on one, you throw it. 
I mean, if you like, if you have Cooper one on one, if he's the boundary X, which he normally is for them, and it's one on one, you know what? It's up to Cooper to win. That's where you're throwing yep. the ball. I was gonna say the two backside uh, ISO balls, the, the go balls that I was talking about. That both of them, it's like okay, safety's going this way because that's the way the play's designed. You're, you know, you're going three or four strong to that side. Petrie has to come down. He has to go over, whether it's a motion or whatever. So it's one on one. Go for it. I trust you. And no, that's. I mean, that's the NFL. That, that's that's the way it works. But it's also how a guy like Flacco, who has seen every possible elephant, can make the most of a Stefanski-designed offense that really brings a lot to the quarterback. And some quarterbacks, it's too much. With Flacco, he's like, oh, yeah, I did this in 2016. I did this in 2012, blah, blah, blah. And he's yeah, just on the side. You like mentioned one. the 21-yarder. Was that is that the one you're talking about where they were in 13 personnel? Uh, because yes. he had a – there was a 21-yarder – it was a back shoulder versus Nelson. Is that the play you're speaking of? Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. See, they yeah. they knew that they'd get single high safety coverage at it because they were in 13 personnel, which means three right. tight ends, one back and three tight ends. So they knew that they would get single high, probably cover three because the Texans are not a high percentage man coverage defense. So they knew they'd get Cooper one-on-one versus Nelson. Yep. They knew that. That was anticipated based on their, their personnel and their formation. Um, so – that's where he was throwing the ball. He was throwing it to Cooper. It's Cooper versus Nelson one on one, and he threw it back shoulder. And you, you know, you'll take that matchup every day of the week. Absolutely. So the Texans do not do well with explosive plays with play action. So the Browns spanned them with that. Now the Jets, for all their defensive excellence, are also not great on deep balls with play action. They've allowed four deep completions on ten attempts of twenty or more air yards for 160 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and an opponent pass rating of 127.1 sixth worst in the league so if we think oh they're going to turn Flacco into a pumpkin maybe not so fast well the only difference here is the d-line because um you know it's funny because Flacco you know they're playing Garan Christian at left tackle and James Hudson at right tackle and both those guys struggle in one-on-one pass protection but you know Flacco has played a long time he understands all that he knows how to kind of work through all that the play calling helps as well play action is a significant part of what they do but you know, in this game, putting aside the secondary, um, you know, the Jets do have an advantage up front. So is it possible that there can be some some negative plays? There can be in this game for sure. But, you know, Flacco clearly has an understanding of that. He'll have an understanding of it going in. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll whether they chip, whatever they do to help, particularly Hudson at right tackle, who has clearly struggled at times. So that's something you have to deal with. But you know what? He's a professional quarterback. They'll deal with it. I'm not sitting here saying they're going to win the game. Who knows? You know, that's why they play him. But, but you know, it, it, it's it's something that they'll know. Flacco will know. And, you know, I remember a very quick story. Ron Jaworski always told me um, that uh, Stan Walters was his left tackle. And he would always tell me that on Saturday night, Coach Vermeil would, would get Jaws one-on-one and say, hey, you know what we have in our game plan, and you know there are going to be some plays where we're asking Stan to block a really good pass rusher one-on-one, and you have to be aware that he may not hold up all the time. So you just have to be aware when we call those plays that that could happen. You know, so, you know, that's – Joe will be aware of that, which doesn't mean, you know, like I said, you never know, but it's not as if that'll be a surprise. No. No, I got to watch tape with Sauce Gardner last week. I don't know if I told you that. It was an no. interesting. 
interesting study of how you can really clamp things down without having sacks and interceptions are two most overbaked defensive stats anyway. Sauce didn't have an interception when I watched tape with him, you know, right. Still so, uh, yeah, interesting matchup. So, very interesting matchup Saturday Lions at Cowboys. Yep. Greg, coming into their Week 15 game against the Dolphins, the Cowboys have played man coverage 41% of the time, the highest rate in the NFL. Against the Dolphins, they, they dropped that at <laughs> 31.6, which ranked 15th. Now, you're playing zone against the Dolphins. They allowed 15 completions and 20 attempts for 223 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, pass rating of 111. When they were in man, the pass rating was 72.0. The two is one touchdown pass with against goal line, so it's different. I get you would why you would want to zone things up against the Dolphins, but this isn't a defense that's really built to do that. And now to flip that script, let's talk about Jared Goff against man coverage this season. Yeah, but it's funny you say that. They're not built to do that, but they're they're also not built to having Gilmore late in his career who can't run and Bland who can't run getting beat over the top by Tyreek Hill and and Waddle. So you know, well, I would argue that Greg, they are built to do that because that's what happened. <laughs> well, that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, on the second play of the game, should have been a you know what an eighty or ninety yard touchdown to Hill, yeah. and then on the same drive, he threw a fifty yarder to Waddle who ran by Gilmore as if he wasn't yeah. there. So, you know, yeah, I'd say they're built to do exactly that, Greg, because that's right. So Quinn, Quinn understood that he can't, couldn't sure. play man in this game, no matter what their MO has been for the last right. number of years. It just was not the team to do that against. And they played a ton of dime. Um, yes. You know, so no. So they had a specific game plan because the last thing any coordinator wants to have happen, as you well know, are explosive pass plays. So, yeah. You know, therefore they and by the way, I don't think they play poorly against that that uh, that offense. Now the ball came out quick. You know, watching the tape though was fascinating because I haven't watched the Dolphins' offense. I'm going to do that later today. Oh well, Parson. You know, the ball gets out quick, as you know. Okay, so Tua doesn't get sacked a lot, but Parsons was just dominating. But he just couldn't get sacks because the ball was out so quick. But he was just eating up whatever offensive alignment he was going up against. And then, of course, they had a split sack late on a third down play. Uh, but, um, but no, their, their defense did not play poorly. The Dolphins scored one offensive touchdown. Right. Yeah. It, it wasn't, you know, 70 points like they can do. No. So, uh, I mean, their, their defense actually I thought played well. I thought it was the right approach, the right plan. And um, they'll go back, I would imagine, to playing more man coverage against Detroit. Well, let's get into that. Let's talk about Jared Goff against man coverage this season. 72 of 125 for 841, 549 air yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, and a pass rating of 99.5. He has 10 interceptions this season, Greg. All 10 have come against zone coverage. Now, that includes the five he's thrown against the Bears. One of those was a deep attempt where the Lions were down and the, the Bears were playing Hail Mary defense. And another, you remember this place we talked about it, where Sam Laporta bumped into Jaquan, Jaquan Brisker. Yeah. And Tyreek Stevenson was just there for the ball. But I'm watching all those inter- his zone, those all those picks. There, it's defenders sitting and waiting to jump Scoff's throws in zone. When he's facing zone, it seems to me like, and this is not, you know, he's not terrible against zone, but there's a little extra tick in his head. He's not as quick to throw. He's not maybe as decisive. And he seems to get the wrong answers a little bit more often against zone. So I wonder if that. Well, first of all, I would say this. And then, you know, I, I understand what the stat, stats say, but. How many passes has he thrown against zone? You know, in other words, I don't think that's a large enough sample to say, well, he struggles against zone. Um, I guarantee because I've watched the Lions, you know, pretty much every week, and there right. are a ton of great throws against zone. Oh, coverage. I'm not saying there are. I'm saying he's thrown yeah. ten interceptions. They've all, they've all been against zone. I mean, right. That's what I, yeah. 
Um, so again, I'm, I can't remember all 10 in terms of what they yeah. look like, you know, what they look like. But um, I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't automatically say that if you play zone. Like, I don't think Dan Quinn is going going to go into this game saying, you know what, we're going to play a lot of zone because he's thrown 10 interceptions. I don't oh, think no. he's, I don't think that's going to be the thought process. No, you have to you have to cast a wider net. I'm just saying, you know, given given their tendencies, would they, you know, try and mix it up a little bit to at least try and throw? And I will ball. say this: I think quarterbacks that, for the most part, you know, it's not a hundred percent by any means, but I would say Goff is one of the best window anticipation throwers in the league. Yes. Okay, I mean, a guy like Purdy is Stroud was sh- proving to be that kind of guy. Um, Tua is obviously that guy. Um, so I would say that when you're a, a big-time window anticipation thrower, every once in a while you get one wrong, okay? And mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that leads to balls that look like, oh, my God, where are you throwing that one? You know, and – It's know, not even – I mean, what I, what I saw this morning when I looked at it, it wasn't even that. It was more like – you're, you're kind of waiting behind the receiver to jump. It wasn't, oh, my God, what the hell here's, is he Here's doing? what I'd love to know. Which it's I, like I, little windows. And I don't know if you can you remember this because you may not have been looking for this specific thing, but I would love to know how many of those 10 came when he, when he had to wait a little bit in the pocket as opposed to if he could throw them rhythmically. And I don't I know the answer to that because I didn't look at all 10 this morning like you did. Keep talking for 30 seconds. I'll get you the exact numbers. Uh, <laughs> well, look. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know what number tells you that, you know. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you'd have to. I, I would have to see the play, the right. play to to, to yeah. evaluate it myself. But all I'm saying is, yeah. you know, I, I think that if he had to wait in the pocket for whatever reason, you know, and it wasn't thrown with with a normal sense, refined sense, and subtle sense of timing and rhythm, then I could understand it. I think that was can, my that was my impression. Okay. Because I think when he can hit his back foot and deliver, my guess is he's very good against zone. He will also whoop your ass against zone or man on inbreakers. He might be the best in Without question. Yeah. I mean, I think he's great with inbreakers. Purdy's great with inbreakers. Yep. Yeah. Any of those middle window, like intermediate anticipation yep. throws. Yeah, he's got uh, seven of his picks are uh, 2.5 seconds or more after the snap, which I would say that's true of most quarterbacks because you're, you know, at that point, you're messing around and trying to find out. But. Well, after 2.5 seconds, by the way, there's no drop that goes longer than that because the way it normally works is, even though it's in the gun, the equivalent of three-step timing is 1.5 seconds. The equivalent yep. of five-step tri- timing is 2.1. And the equivalent of seven-step timing is 2.5. So anything after that, Doug, means that the quarterback is not throwing within the timing of, of, of the play design. So if it's after 2.5, then he's waiting in the pocket. Like Brock Purdy's second interception of Kyle Hamilton, where he was uh, running around for nine seconds. That was weird. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. So Dallas's run defense, because the concept of Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery is not really favorable for Dallas side, uh, Dallas's side over the last three weeks against the Eagles, Bills and Dolphins, three teams that run the ball well and can keep up with you score for score. So they can keep running the ball. Dallas has allowed 463 rushing yards. Only the Seahawks are worse with 513. Only the Jaguars have faced more rushing attempts, 106, than the Cowboys, 98. They're allowing 4.7 yards per attempt, a 30.6% third down conversion rate, one of the worst in the NFL, and a 52 positive play rate, which is, you know, your. Who have they played the last three weeks? The Dolphins, Eagles, and who's the third? Bills. 
where they just unleashed James Cook all over. Yeah, the, the Bills game was, again, I don't want to say it's an aberration because we don't know that, but that, that game skews the stats quite a bit. I mean, that yeah. was – that was in many ways an unexpected game, and and maybe yeah. it does show a weakness in the Cowboys' defense. Uh, but let's put it this way: I doubt they went into that game defensively with the thought process that we're going to have to really buck up and defend the run. I mean, and again, I'm not saying that that means it's okay what happened, but I guarantee that was not the major conversation going into that oh, game. And full marks to Joe Brady for you know winning at chess. There. And by the way, I my guess is they didn't go into that game expecting uh, Josh Allen to throw 15 balls. They stayed no. with the way the game played out and they sure. got the lead and there was no reason to change. Now, let's say that the Cowboys were scoring some points. You and I both know that that Cook would not have gotten all those carries and Allen would not have had would not oh. have had 15 attempts. But the way the game continued to play out, there was no reason to change anything. Right. Um, so yeah, so only the Seahawks have been worse with positive player. This coincides with the absence of Jonathan Hankins, a defensive tackle who suffered a high ankle sprain in week 14 against the Eagles. It has not been the same defense without Hankins and he has not been a participant in practice this week. So Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery Gibbs had three explosive runs against the Vikings outstanding defense. And I know you've seen the 18 year old run with eight twenty eight left in the third quarter. <laughs> There's 11 personnel on fourth and one. Pretty interesting. Sam Laporta motions across to chip Daniel Hunter. The offensive line blasted a big hole up the middle for Gibbs, who responded by putting a move on cornerback at Caleb Evans that put Evans in the shadow realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, that's gone viral, as it were. It's a shame yeah. you didn't score on that play. Um, one, of, one of the nastiest jump cuts yeah. you'll ever see. So the Lions run game has the schemes, the talent, and the consistency. Ben Johnson has one of the most multiple run games in the NFL with his two different different backs so they can make things very tough for the Cowboys and they can match the Cowboys touchdown for touchdown to keep that going they're not going to have you know you don't know but most likely they won't have to stop because they're down 30 in the second half yeah we don't know the answer to that they some might say that they gave up over 400 yards to Nick Mullins uh, so we'll see how the game plays out Um, although you know I think defensively I really liked the last two games watching this kid Melifanu, who I did coming out of Syracuse, who was yep. a corner in college, and they he's playing safety, and he's been an impact player for them the last two weeks. But they struggle at corner, and that that's that to me is the biggest concern in their defense right now. And we'll see how it plays out. But they struggle at corner. But other than that, I think their defense actually is pretty good. I mean, yeah. you know, Branch is a really good player. Melifanu has shown the last two weeks. I don't know. Is Gardner Johnson potentially playing this week? I think Even, it could, could be. Could be. Yeah. That. So I mean, they have a lot of versatility on the back end, but none of those guys are going to play outside corner. No. Branch was my 14th ranked player in this class. I have no idea why he went in the second round, but whatever. You mean why he was drafted where he was? Yeah. Because, I, I, you know I, why I, he was. You know why he was drafted where he was. Doesn't make it right. It's because he ran a four five eight at the combine. Yeah. Okay. Don't I mean, I know. I mean, again, I'm not taking sides. I'm just saying that's the way a lot of, you know, I he was one of my favorite players to watch on tape last year. And, you know, um, I to me, he was a first round pick. And I my again, I've been wrong, just like, you know, everybody's wrong. On the wrong the draft, lot, yeah. OK, that's just the nature of the draft, because no matter how many metrics and stats you have, it's still human beings evaluating human beings. Yep. But I, I thought that branch was a top 20 player in the draft without question, but that was me. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who felt that way, but um, so I'm not surprised by how he's playing. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny. Nick Mullins, I think, had four interceptions. Brock Purdy had four interceptions. And both of those guys, I mean, they got yards. They got big plays, but they also threw four interceptions. And we'll be talking about Purdy. Well, Purdy's interceptions were different, but we can discuss that if you want. Yeah. Yeah, we can get into that. Uh, So Rams, Giants, and it's the Giants. But I'm using this as an excuse, as I told you yesterday on, on, on the phone. I just want to talk about Matthew Stafford. So Matthew Stafford, weeks one through nine, 59%. You got a little bromance brewing here on my man, a little bromance? I got I got a bromance of the whole offense. Uh, we can talk about the run game. Well, later. The, the, the the I mean the offense is it's it's I don't want to say it's simple because of course it's not. But but I mean watching tape, you see about four things that you know you're going to get in the pass game. You're going to get reduced splits. You're going to yep. get shifts and motions. You're going to see stacks and you're going to see bunches. You're going to see that no matter who they play against, just done differently depending on the opponent. But that's what they are. Well, I have a bromance on Puka Nakua because he looks just like Eddie Van Halen, which is, you know. Right he kind of does. He totally does. Uh, yeah. So but better Matt, better that than Valerie Bertinelli. Well, you know. I mean, as far as for him, not, not you know, maybe not for you and I, but for him. I'm not going to even go there. You're not going to go there, I know. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Uh, so Matthew Stafford, weeks one through nine, 59.7% completion rate, 7.1 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, seven interceptions, and a pass rating of 82.0. Matthew Stafford since week 10, 65.1 completion rate, 7.6 yards per attempt, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions, and a pass rating of 107.7. And since week 10, Stafford has 22 attempts and 11 completions of 20 or more air yards. So he's not padding his stats with underneath stuff, not that he would. Well, their, their pass game, you know, conceptually is not built on, on five-yard passes. Uh, no, it, nor will no. it be because you have that guy. You know, if you go out and get, you know, you pay what you got to get him, you're going to do But it. I think conceptually, no matter who the quarterback was, is for that team, you know, even when Goff was there, I mean, it's not built on five-yard throws. That's no. that's not the way McVay structures his pass game because all those things that we speak spoke about, um, reduced splits, uh, motions and shifts, stacks, bunches, they all create free access so receivers can get into their routes cleanly and quickly and they can get down the field. And when I say down the field, I don't mean vertical, you know, 60-yard bombs, although yeah. Stafford's certainly capable of those throws. But the point is, is they can get down the field at the intermediate level without any impediment, without any disruption, and they can attack defenses at the intermediate slash intermediate deeper levels. And it's just, it, it's a thing of beauty. You know, to me, I have my most fun, and again, this is just, you know, everybody's different. I have my most fun watching the Lions pass game and the Rams pass game. I yep. think that they're just kind of a joy to watch and how they're structured. Yep. Um, and the run game, uh, Kyron Williams, and, you know, they're running more gap. It's more, you know, it's more varied than the usual zone. Well, stuff. they work outside a little more, and, and they, they've run a little more duo inside. So they yeah. do a few more things than we're used to seeing with McVeigh, but it's not revolutionary. They no. just do it. They just do a few different things because I think they play to the back. He's a, yeah. he's, he's not explosive, but he's shifty and, and, and can find space. And he's got a bit of, of natural power for a guy that's short, but not small. Mm-hmm. And the reduced splits, I think this is important because uh, – And their wide receivers block, by the way. Yes. Well, uh, them and the Niners, you better block. Or you'll, yeah. They'll throw you out the plane. Um, the reduced split thing, and I'm talking – you talk to coaches, I talk to coaches, analysts, whatever. That is, um, for a lot of teams, they're, they're trying to – fabricate in the NFL the wider hash marks from college. And I think that's an important sort of schematic. Do I don't know what that means. It, 
Uh, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who say that you're trying to replicate with the reduced splits. You have more free access, as you said, to either side. So you're trying to sort without of, question, you know, because obviously and we've talked about this a lot. You know, the narrower hash marks of the NFL. Well, how can you sort of fabricate um, or so? Know, in other words, you're saying how can you create more space for your receiver? Yeah. You're That's what you're basically saying. Space to either side with the with the space because normally. Normally, I mean, are there teams that could do this? Sure. But almost always with reduced splits, you know, cut splits, whatever term people want to use, normally corners will play with a little more width and depth. Normally, you don't get press versus cut splits. You know, like I said, can it be done? It can be. Um, But normally you don't because – with those cut splits, like you said, there's there's really a two-way go, and there's too much space outside. So yep. so teams don't have their corners normally press. So they end up playing off the ball with a little more width and a little more depth, and that creates the free access that you're looking for. So the timing of the routes are not disrupted. Good. Uh, Dolphins at Ravens. Um... I understand that Purdy's four interceptions were different, and I know that they moved the ball. And you're look, I don't care if you're the 85 Bears, you're going to give up explosive plays to this 49. They're too good. You're not going to just shut them down. That's not going to happen. I thought that the uh, the interception that, that uh, Brandon Stevens deflected to Marlon Humphrey, I mean, we can say, yeah, it was a tip, or yeah, he got thrown off the spot, so maybe that's just luck, and luck tends to you know navigate either way. They ran a double corner blitz to set that up on that play. And then uh <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that 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 play was a called run. And right. um it was yep, a called run. And uh Purdy obviously saw out of the corner of his eye a the blitz coming from the side of the called run, because the other side, as far as what he did, was not relevant, even though it was Humphrey coming from the other side. Um and and Stevens made a great, great play. Purdy made the right decision. It, it Stevens made a great play. And, you know, tip balls, you know, it was a great play. But it, th- those plays are, are more unfortunate than, oh, my God, they just killed him. You know, the one really bad play by Purdy uh, of his of his four picks um, was the, the first one when sure. – you know, that's a ball he should never have thrown. Um, he knew that, I'm sure, as soon as he threw it. And the first Hamilton interception. just The first finish. Hamilton interception. That was on Purdy a 1,000%. Yep. You know? And he said that. Yeah, yeah and, and, and he knows he shouldn't have thrown that ball. Um, you know, the, the third one where he ran around, I mean, it's easy after the fact to say that's reckless, but we've also seen him make plays this year where he has run around. So, you know, you can say what you want about that. And the last one, he got hit. The last yeah. one, his arm got hit. So, you know, three were sort of unfortunate. The first was a bad play by Purdy. But they were moving the ball in that game, particularly well, in the were. first half. They, they you know, were. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say this week that, oh, they got bullied. Well, the game got out of hand clearly in that the second half. You know, yeah. they went three and out on their first series of the third quarter. Um, Obviously, they did not want to do that, but they did. Um, And then – then uh, on the first play of the third quarter for the Ravens, Lamar made a Lamar play um, where he ran out of the pocket and he hit Edwards um, where Greenlaw abandoned his coverage responsibility because that's what happens when Lamar gets out of the pocket. And yeah. But in the first half, the Ravens' offense wasn't anything special in the first half. Lamar made a bunch of really good plays in the second half that were Lamar plays because mm-hmm. that first drive ended with the Aguilar touchdown, which was another Lamar play where he yeah. left the pocket to his left. 
I liked the design of Purdy's interception to Patrick Queen with 1207 left in the third, the defensive design, third quarter. Uh, Ravens showed Nate Manbox pre-snap, then dropping seven into quarters. McCaffrey's hot motion forced Brandon Stevens to widen, took away the heavy box look to a point, but the Ravens still had to get to Purdy with four rushers against five blockers. And <laughs> defensive lineman Travis Jones, that's six foot four, three hundred and thirty eight. Yeah, he pounds, beat McKivitz, who got beat a lot in this game. On the edge. Love yeah. that. So, and yeah. you know, so he got to Purdy to upset the throw. And yes, it was bad luck, but as the English poet John Milton said in the 17th century, luck is the residue of design. And Greg, I think John Milton would have been a Ravens fan. And that's just all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, you know, and again, I, this was a game to me where Purdy, and it happens to every quarterback. I remember Jaws telling me this, that it would happen twice a year to him. And it happens that way with most quarterbacks. This was one of the few games, maybe the only game I've seen where Purdy was clearly uncomfortable in the pocket. As the game progressed, he played a little fast physically. Um, you know, I thought the Queen interception was was a good example where he did not see and process as quickly and precisely as he normally does because he had Ayuk open in the underneath zone void, but he didn't turn it loose. Um, he looked then looked to the other side to McCaffrey on the angle route, and then the pressure got there. But if he had thrown the ball within the timing – to IU wide open, we wouldn't be discussing this play. So, right. but Purdy was just one of those games. Well, if some boats are candy in that set. So one play I wanted to, uh, the Zay Flowers touchdown with 11.52 left the three. This was fun. The Ravens had an unbalanced formation to the right with tight end Isaiah Likely lined up in the wing, outside right tackle Morgan Moses. Left tackle Ronnie Stanley was lined up outside Likely. Then Flowers in the slot and Aguilar outside. The Niners had everyone stacked to that side. And they must have been thinking that something was going to happen underneath because with running back Gus Edwards headed to the right flat, it was five strong. Flowers went right by linebackers Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, who were in the same place at the same time. You don't see that very often. So uh, I think well, Todd, Todd Mock was in his bag on that my one. My guess is they weren't thinking anything because they rushed up to the line of scrimmage and snapped the ball immediately. And you can see that the Niners are trying to figure everything out. So that was the whole point of the play is yeah. they rushed up and then did something that is not normal. And the Niners just never, they never got set. They never could, they weren't given time to react to what you just said. So yeah. who knows what would have happened if, you know, if Lamar went up to the line and they ran the exact same play, but, but Lamar stood there for 10 seconds and the Niners, you know, were able to react, but, but they were caught because yeah. they ran up to the line and snapped the ball immediately. That was the play where Likely, I believe, was inside of Stanley. Yes, it was Moses, Likely, Stanley, Flowers, Aguilar. Yeah, because Likely right. was inside of Stanley, yep. And obviously no tackle on the left side. And Stanley was on the right, but he was actually almost flexed like a tight end because yes, Likely was. was off the ball inside of Stanley. Yeah, we'll put that play up because it was really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, just fun. So, playing the Dolphins, Ravens defense against motion, they've allowed the fourth lowest pass rating against throws with motion, 82.8 behind only the Browns, Niners, and Steelers. And they're tied with the Vikings and the Texans for the lowest yards per carry against runs with motion, which is also important. Just what you've seen from, you know, the discipline, spacing, whatever makes the Ravens sort of be able to handle motion in ways that some defenses might not be able to. Yeah, I'm curious how Hamilton will be deployed in this game. He was deployed everywhere against the Fort. Oh my God, he was it. He had one. Yeah, snap. well, that's the way they that's the way they use him. So yeah. I don't really have a sense of how they see him in this game. Um, you know that because you know again I'm not Mike McDonald and um, uh, so I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, it's McDaniel against McDonald. We're gonna get that confused all week. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, because obviously Hamilton plays slot when they play w- what essentially would be big nickel because he's technically a safety. Um, right. and Stone's in the game with Williams, but they also use him on the back end as a true safety. Um, so I don't know how they see it in this game. Um, you know, when yeah. you play the Dolphins, it's a little different because of the speed and the motion. Um, so, you know, they're different than other teams. Like, like I know what you said about the motion, but you know, the dolphins presented different animals. So oh, I, sure. I don't, I don't know how they're, what they're going to do. This, this is going to be a fascinating study after the game. Yeah. You don't have that CFL motion with Hill and Waddle with other teams. So I can't. Well, Waddle's got a high ankle sprain right. and it, you know, high ankle sprains normally don't uh, go away in a week, but we'll see. Yeah. So it's, it's, oh, they had the same thing they faced in week 13. There isn't really a, a no, there's line. not a correlation. Not with no. the Dolphins. They're different. Yep. So uh, Jalen Ramsey. Hill guy's fast. He's, you know, I've heard that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Jalen Ramsey. Since Ramsey became a starter for the Dolphins in week eight, the Dolphins have seen major defensive improvements in completion rate, averages at the target, yards per attempt, touchdown rate, and interception rate. Before Ramsey this season, they all had a touchdown rate of 4.0%, and they had an interception rate of 1.2%. Since Ramsey, their touchdown rate and their interception rate is the same, 3.7. Cowboys targeted Ramsey three times, along a total of 12 yards. So when you watch Miami's defense, Greg, how does Ramsey not only play at his own ridiculous clip in this particular defense, but how does he present – you hear this about defensive players, right? How does his presence – open possibilities up for other defenders. I don't know if I'd word it that way because for the most part, he's just a zone corner in, in, in on a team that plays a lot of zone. He's just, right. as, good he as, zone corner. He's just as good as zone corner as there is in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, I've talked about this before, his understanding of receiver splits, of route concepts that come from receiver splits, of how to manage the conflict that zone corners are in based on route combinations. I'm not sure there's a better zone corner in the league because, you know, he's not used as a true matchup corner. You know, no. maybe every once in a while he'll play press man, but you know that's not the way he's deployed for the most part. But he's just so good at playing zone that he takes away a lot of the voids that you anticipate, you know, when you call plays um, to to attack and beat zone because he has such a great understanding of routes. And like I said, you are managing the conflict because all zone defenders can be put in conflict by the nature of routes. Uh, And he's just a master at that. I mean, he's such an intuitively smart player that, you know, he's so, so good. So. You know, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, him helping other guys in that sense. I just okay. think he he shuts down a lot of the route concepts that you just assume, okay, let's call this because we anticipate getting quarters, or let's call this because we're going to cover three, and the things you assume will work don't always work. So that would usually be more of a, you know, if you're more of a traveler or more of a matchup corner that might. He's not really used that way. Right. I'm saying it would be maybe more that case for guys who do that opening things. Right, 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 right. I mean, again, could he be in a given game? You ne- that's the thing. You never know because we don't know how they see a given game. But that's normally not what Vic Fangio does. Right. And he, I mean, he's played outside corner. He's played rat. He's played, you know, uh, star, star, which is the name for slot very played, often. Yeah. Yeah. He played, he played a crap load of star at Florida State. So I mean, he can awesome. do, he can do pretty much anything. He's just an incredibly smart, intuitive, instinctive player. So would you say, Greg, that he's an expert in uh, receiver distribution and location? I would say he is, Doug. I would say Excellent. he is for sure. Bang. Ring the bell. Okay. Uh, our final matchup to discuss. Bengals Chiefs. 
Patrick Mahomes, Greg, is leaving a lot of stuff on the table. Against the Raiders defense under Patrick Graham, by the way, that has gotten a ton better since Antonio Pierce did. Listeners, viewers, watch the Raiders defense over the last three or four weeks. It's a different animal. But this was glaring. You start with the Adam Butler sack with 13.39 left in the first quarter. Mahomes had Rasheed Rice coming open on a crosser against slot quarter Nate Hobbs. He had Edward Zolaire open on a flat route out of the wing, and he didn't make either throw. He just kind of stood there, and Butler got through on a TE stunt with Max Crosby. Then you have moments where things are just ridiculous. 12.26 left in the first half. Mahomes threw a quick out to uh, MVS. Cornerback Jack Jones fell down, and MVS, it wasn't a great throw, but MVS is out there playing volleyball. Then with 4.55 left in the first half, they tried another quick out, this time to Justin, Justin Watson. Jones is off bail, and he jumps it for his second pick six in as many weeks. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on what's wrong with the Chiefs offense, but just I know you had some There's thoughts. There's a lot. Yeah, but you had some thoughts. We talked on the phone about just Mahomes in general, yeah. and it's almost as much at this point about the sideline as it is the field. Yeah, I think there's, you know, obviously there's a there's a lot wrong with this offense. Um, you know, certainly the the defense, the offensive tackles Taylor and and the rookie Morris um, are are struggling in one on one pass protection. There's no question about that. Um, but I think overall, you can see that Mahomes is a little tentative in turning it loose on throws that he's made many times. Even throws to Kelsey, he's just not turning it loose. Hard to know why that is the case, but there are throws he's leaving on the field that we have seen him routinely make. Um, You know, he's always been a little loose and undisciplined. Um, That's not producing the same results as it has in the past. In many ways, his game's been built on second reaction off schedule plays, and they're not happening this year the way they have in previous years. Um, You know, I think one of the things that I was taught by by quarterback coaches smarter than I am is watch a, a a quarterback's helmet when he drops and sets and Mahomes is not playing with a column helmet too much head movement is always a sign that you are not focusing correctly with and here's another one of your favorite terms that you are not focusing correctly with clean elimination and isolation and he's struggling with that right now so yes are there other issues there are um but he's he's not playing as in you always have to, when you evaluate a quarterback, Doug, isolate the quarterback's play. And again, are there other factors? Yes, for sure there are other factors. But right now, you know, he, he's he's not helping the solution. He's just, you know, part of the problem. Yeah, the aggravations are uh, <laughs> aggregating. It's, it's bad. Um, Jake Browning. Uh, three interceptions against the Steelers. Steelers did a really good job of like presenting different looks and doing, you know, creepers and replacements. And it looks like four are coming and then they drop eight. And, you know, so just Browning, your thoughts in general, how he played in the Steelers game. By the way, Steelers had Patrick Peterson and Eric Rowe at safety, as you said. That was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I thought that the Steelers, for the most part, because they had Rowe, um, they simplified their coverage concepts, given that they were playing with two new safeties um, in Peterson and Rowe. They played significant snaps of cover three and cover two, basic stuff. Um, I, I thought Browning was okay. I mean, he, he again, he made a couple of really bad throws. Um, you know, one of the one of the interceptions. It might have been Rowe's interception. Um, the first interception, um, which the second uh, one was to Rowe. Yeah, the second one was to Rowe. The the the, the Peterson one. 
you know, I watched that many times. I don't know if he was trying to throw that ball away and it just didn't happen because um, there was no receiver anywhere near to the throw. So I don't know the answer to that. Only he could tell you. Was that the, one, was that the first one where they mucked it up by dropping seven in cover two and that's not what they showed? But the first one or the third one? Yeah, it was late rotation to cover two. The, that was yeah. the first one. Okay. And then he ran, he ran out of the pocket running to his right, and then he just threw it up. And I, I just wasn't sure whether he was trying to throw it away. Yeah. And then, um, uh, yeah, the, the row interception was 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 bad. Um, yeah, I, I I think he read the wrong defender because his read is on that particular route concept. It was flood to the boundary, and his right. read is the flat defender who was row. When I watched the play over and over, I, my sense was that he was was looking at the hook defender Jack, and he should have been right. looking at the flat defender row because he threw that ball as if he had no awareness of where row was. So yeah. I, I don't know. You know, that's that's one you just don't know unless he would tell you. Um, and then, of course, the last one was late in the game. But other yeah. than that, you know, I thought he hung in there and I thought he made some throws. You know, there are times when you watch him where it looks like he has a relatively refined sense of of routes and, and progressions. And, you know, I, I don't think he's played poorly at all. Well, I think Zach Taylor's, a, you know, we discussed for a nice job of it's not simple but I think they take a few concepts and they sort of expand them as, I agree. as comfort expands. And we hear this a lot, you know, with the, the, the Doug Peterson Eagles is where you started to hear it a lot was you take a few things and then it, they just sort of blow up. And that's how right. most plays are. You know, Al Saunders. I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, yeah, but it's like 20 plays and it's then, you know, 5,000 different iterations of those 20 plays. No question. It becomes formation, you right. know, splits, you know, all that stuff, you know, but um, different personnel. But I think overall, you know, given that he was undrafted and hadn't played in, what, three, four years, really, um, I think he's shown, you know, you know, again, I'm not going to get caught up in whether or not he could start. So, you know, he, that, that's that's not yeah. why we're doing this right now. But I think he's shown okay, uh, you know. And he, ha- and he hung in there in that game. Obviously, they were down big, and he hung in there. And he, he was still being aggressive trying to make throws. Yeah, and uh, the t- last two interceptions were kind of a front side or a back side. They kind of flipped the overall concept. So they're giving him, like, a few concepts that work for him. And it's like we talked about Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton. What are your best 15? So they're clearly doing that to make him comfortable. Um, now, Browning is <laughs> – he could be in for some issues against Spagnolo. We love Without Spag- question. Who can throw anything at you at any time. He's another one of those Flores guys where you just don't know. And by the way, all this crap on offense is overshadowed the fact that since week 10, the Steelers or the Chiefs have jumped from 20th to 9th in defensive DVOA. While the buildings are just, you know, falling down around him, Spags is doing what Spags does because he's awesome. No, who would have thought this year would be saying that the Chiefs are, are kind of built on their defense? And Led that's the way it's been. Who would have thought that about the Ravens, by the way? Who would have thought that about the Raiders, by the way? Although I think the Ravens' offense has been, for the most part, pretty oh, good. Oh, no, it's been great. But I yeah. think the defense is just, yeah. But anyway, uh, we're, we're splitting hairs there, and we're 45 minutes in, so we probably shouldn't do that. We should probably say, Greg, thank you, as always, for your wisdom and knowledge and expertise. And uh, we'll be talking about X's and O's next week. Thanks, Doug. This was great. Appreciate it. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
from the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.